We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Jeremy Gunn. Jeremy is the current head men's soccer coach at Stanford University. National champions 2015, 16 and 17. Before that, he took UNC Charlotte to the College Cup. Before that, Fort Lewis College won the Division II title there and then also finished runner-up twice phenomenal record a phenomenal reputation throughout the game but i wanted to go a little bit further and look and say to how he actually works how he builds his program how he builds his culture how he manages expectations how he pushes teams to levels they've never gone before how he works throughout the recruiting process how he communicates those expectations to young players who haven't come in yet and also how he hires his staff so had a lot of questions for him and he was different class throughout this interview so only thing for coaches i would say is make sure you have a pen and paper ready because there's some absolute gold in this here so as always would love to hear your thoughts at gary kernin on twitter at gary kernin on instagram have a new blog on the website modernsoccercoach.com this week so please stay tuned for that there here's jeremy enjoy jeremy thanks for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Excited to get you on. Wonderful. Well, thanks for having me. We always start off the podcast with the coaching philosophy question. How would you describe yours? Um, it's, it's very much a holistic philosophy when you're a, a college coach because um, you know, everybody judges your environment on wins and losses, whether they think you're successful or not. But you, know, you, you look at what true success is and it's people doing the best they can do in whatever they choose to do and so in its simplest term the philosophy we have is that we we want to recruit in the types of people that align with our philosophy which is just that can you decide what you want to do and then work as hard as you can to do that and everybody puts out good goals everybody has good intentions but the truth is really in how do you behave every day and it's quite simple. Are you helping something? Are you hurting something? Is what you're doing today aligning what you claim to be your outcome goals eventually? So the, the, the sheer overriding philosophy in, in recruitment and day-to-day isn't whether somebody tells me they want to be a pro soccer player. It's whether they want to be the best student athlete they can be. So it's consistent across the board, everything they do? Completely, yeah. And so you know, you, you talk about philosophy, you can get into styles of play and those will always change, but the philosophy truly is, you know, identify the standards that you want to meet. You're not always going to meet them, but you always have to be endeavouring to meet them. Again, we view sometimes tactical systems and cultures, something's tangible, it can be transferred. Pep Guardiola can take this model from Barcelona to Man City and it works fantastically well but in practice it's usually philosophies can't be transferred because of the different variables. What remains constant everywhere you go? You know you have a moral compass and you have certain cornerstones of who you believe um, 
you want people to be, who you want to be yourself. And those values, they do transfer from place to place. And so just having a hard working mentality to me is everything. Having, you know, we use these words so flippantly, but that'll come back to what we look at each day. But having the character that we want to look for, which is a hard working person, which means if they're, if they're working as hard as they can do, then that, that is ultimate success. Do they have the self-discipline to continue to push at things all of the time? Do they have the honesty to be able to evaluate themselves and always look to, to look for improvement? And do they have that humility as well? You know, we're looking for people that have the audacity to believe in themselves and the audacity to think that they can be special, but also the humility to understand that they can always grow, they can always develop, they can always keep getting better. And I found that you know some of the sustainable successes we've had has come from truly focusing on the idea that the ultimate success, the ultimate ideas are can you try to become as good as you can be now. Whoever I am today, I have a certain limit on how good I can, I can become today. But once I reach that level, my limits can now go a little bit higher and a little bit higher and a little bit higher again. So rather than judging myself on being successful, winning a championship or scoring a goal, I just know that rather than focusing on that outcome as something that's achieved and then maybe you have a drop off, it doesn't matter what I've done yesterday. Um, it doesn't matter what I've done in a game. If I've made a good pass, I want to make another good pass. If I scored a goal, I want to score another goal. If I've missed a chance, I want to score another goal. If I'm a keeper, if I've let one in, I want to save the next shot. And so it doesn't matter what you've done, all that ever matters is that you're aspiring to do as well as you can do. Does the same philosophy apply to academics as it does to physical conditioning? Yeah, I think you, you look at everything and you understand if you look at all of those marginal gains in everything that you do, everything that you do that surrounds and supports you as a, as a player, as a student athlete, is a means to an end to give you the maximum capabilities. And then your job then as you create the maximum capabilities is to fulfill those capabilities and then like I said the hope is to then stretch those things. You think of nature and nurture you have a set of parameters that you have say if you're an athlete and you can run a five minute mile fantastic try and run a, run a four minute 55 mile once you can get to that you can now focus on running a 450 then a 445 so everything you do is just trying to push the envelope. So every, everything we utilize, everything we look at, we're always constantly trying to get the best out of where we are today and then nudge it a little bit further. I think going to Stanford when I, when I arrived there, um, I had an admissions meeting and I went back to the office and I sat there and I literally went, what on earth have I done? How on earth are you going to be able to get people into this school that you want to work with as soccer players and then how are you going to get the maximum out of them and um, the, the football coach who's an incredible guy, incredible coach, uh, Coach Shaw, he came in, sat me down and, and he, he really framed everything about the Stanford student that completely changed my, my thoughts about what the job was going to be about. Um, you're not choosing between being a great athlete or being a great student, what you're doing at Stanford you're, you're getting to recruit and through the incredibly high admission standards you are already recruiting people who are incredibly motivated, incredibly intrinsically driven. They are extremely competitive. That might have been competing for an A in a math class. So they already have the compete skills. 
So all we have to do in the student-athlete is be able to apply those same philosophies to everything they do. So whether it's getting an A in a class, fantastic. You understand what the goal is, you understand what the, the, the questions are going to be, you understand everything that you have to do, you prepare the right way and then, then you do everything you can to get there. And when you don't get there, you dust yourself off and you push again so that you do get there. So if I look at it and say, well, some of these people were getting to be in a math class one time and they, they had to go away and spend five extra hours to get that A. It's the same with a soccer player, it's the same with doing anything in life. What is it you're trying to do? Can you, can you identify what it is and then just keep working towards that? You have to have abilities to work towards something, you have to have the drive to work towards something and you have to have the persistence to work towards it. You know, we, you talk about grit with people, I think that's something that the athletes we're bringing in, they are gritty. Now you might not have seen them as gritty people in that they're not smashing people in a tackle or something like that, but they have grit with how they lead their life. So we're looking at saying everything you do, apply that desire to do well. So whatever it is you're going to do, do it to the best of your ability. And that means everything they do in their day-to-day -day life, which comes back to the holistic approach of hopefully uh, helping mold great people everything in the classroom, hopefully molding great students, everything to do with their athletic side of their performance. And so when we're recruiting people, it's not about being a pro, it's about being the best student athlete you can be. And that is going to apply to everything because then you're, you're just teaching and educating skill sets. And so we had Adam Musharrafa this year, unbelievable player for a starting centre-back. Um, he was invited to the Combine, he turned down going to the Combine. He's got an unbelievable computing job already. Um, I knew throughout his career he didn't want to be a pro. That didn't stop me working with him. It didn't stop him from being an incredible student athlete. The, the student athlete that wants to be a pro, we want them to be the best student athlete they can be so they can take those skills on to being a professional soccer player. The guy who wants to be an incredible uh, software engineer, we're going to take those same skills of how to be an incredible student athlete and that will set them up for life in whatever vocation they go into. It's worth pointing out that you just mentioned before we started recording that it was a culture of change at Stanford. A lot of coaches would see your resume and say, well, he's won at a big school. It must be easy because you have access to the best players and the best student athletes. But in moving the culture of change and, and transforming the programme means that you had to then instill these beliefs and practices into your players but holding them to that those standards that you mentioned how did you do that successfully without creating resistance or creating them to dislike you or, or <laughs> well, some of the initial guys <laughs> probably dislike me I'm sure but that's that's part of it when you have an environment that's underachieving you have to you have to push change and I think creating a really strong environment creating a strong culture you're going to have resistance to change and that's okay that's part of it and so you know we we entered into the environment and from day one we're setting a new standard we're setting new challenges and it's up to them to to come to that and so you get a group of people together and you say this is what it's going to be to be in this program and um, you know there's a wonderful Celtic saying about the you know the jersey doesn't shrink to fit the man, the man has to grow to fit the jersey and 
that's how we looked at it. And so some of the people, when we're creating change, they're not happy. I don't think people should be happy when they have to change always. You know, in, in any environment, you're not going to set a bar that is the perfect average for that group that keeps everybody happy. You're going to set a bar and a standard that is higher than what's been expected before, and that's going to create struggle. Um, people are normally willing to struggle a bit more when they haven't been doing quite as well, and so the opportunity at the programs I've been to has quite often been that it's there've been some some great people, great environments, but they've been underachieving for what they want, so they've been open to change a little bit more, and so you have to come in as a coach and get everybody on board saying this is how we're going to do things this is what we're going to do and it's your privilege to be in this room and if you don't want to be in this room we're not going to change for you i think as a college coach you know we we always get challenged by student athletes every year that want to challenge how you do things i've never met a great athlete who's asked permission to work harder i've met lots of great athletes who've asked permission to work less hard. And so it's quite simple. Our, our job as a group is to say, our success is working as hard as we can, working as smart as we can towards whatever agreed principles we have. And if you're not doing that, that's not acceptable, that's failure. If you're working as hard as you can to those things, that's success. And so within every environment, there's been the people who haven't been happy with the changes, they've had to get off the bus, no question about it. They either change or they get off the bus. And I think, um, you know, in the college environment, you get this challenge. In the club environment, you get this challenge. Even at the pro environment, you get this challenge. What's funny is that the pro environment, sometimes coaches mold their standards to the players because they're frightened of the power of the players. I think what's wonderful, wonderful about the coaching environment in college is that you are, you are in charge, you're leading the ship, and you do have some power to a certain extent. It's just about whether you can be strong-willed enough to keep maintaining those standards. Everybody's going to challenge the standards you have. Everybody's going to ask questions. Everybody's going to test the water in different directions. So you set out your goals, you set out what you're going to do, and then your job as the person in charge is to keep everybody going in that direction and I found that um, I've been through a similar type of cycle everywhere I've been where initially it is a dictatorship it is extrinsic motivation we're putting the hurt on people we're pushing them to do things that they haven't normally done and through time the people who are in the program that philosophy that environment it sinks into their bones and that's who they become and so in the first year when you're a new coach they can't lead the the program because they don't know how to lead the program in the way you want it to be led but after a couple of years you have those returning players that have really bought in have really championed what you're doing and they can then take more and more of the lead and so the drive that I'm pushing the team forward with initially hopefully becomes the great players in the program pulling the team forward in the way that we were trying to do and so we've been successful in doing that there's, there's a lot of trouble along the way there's a lot of difficulties along the way but the more you do it the more people that you get with all noses pointing in the same direction everybody pushing in the right way and through time that culture evolves and it changes and it gets stronger and stronger and stronger what then happens is you then create a 
an environment that maybe has external successes, and then you get challenged again because people change, you know. But again, as a coach, you then have to you have to push the extrinsics back into it so that they continuously stay true to that goal of pushing themselves forward as hard as they can do. It's an environment of accountability. It, it sounds like it's it's extremely intense. You need a certain character. The character becomes almost, if not more important, than the skill level of the player. Uh, obviously, there's academic requirements to get into Stanford. There's technical requirements of a soccer player. How do you gauge or how is the process of finding out that 16-year-old whether they've got the right mental stuff to, to cut it in? Yeah, and isn't that the, the thing that we're yeah. all looking for? Um, you know, I'd, I mean, one of the great things I've been at Stanford, I've, I've been able to watch some of the most amazing coaches there's ever been, you know. Got to spend time with Sir Alex Ferguson, and that was one of the questions I asked him. And his answer flat out was character. You know, that was the most important thing to him, and that was wonderful. That was music to my ears, because that's how I've always felt. And I think when we're evaluating uh, people as a right fit, you think of your traditional uh, scouting methods, you look at somebody's physical abilities, you look at their technical abilities, you look at their tactical abilities, and then on, by the way, the mental aspects. And of course, in more recent years, it's something that gets a lot more lip service than it used to do, because it's now, it's now researched more, it's now understood more. I truly start almost the other way. I try and look inside of the man first of all, because I know, again, coming back to my core beliefs and my core values, if I have somebody who's hardworking, if I have somebody who can have a certain level of self-discipline, I'm going to be a great coach for them. Mm. If I have somebody who's incredibly, quote-unquote, talented, who doesn't push themselves as hard, that is not enjoyable for me. They might score me a willing, winning goal, but I don't get the personal satisfaction out of the player that underachieves for their ability. So you could have the leading goal scorer in the nation. We're all going to be happy high-fiving for winning soccer games. But as a personal eval evaluation of my job, of my input, staying true to my beliefs, that's a failure in my eyes. It doesn't matter what awards that person wins. And so I am just, I'm always just desperate to be looking for people who, like I say, they have the drive to do well but they also have the humility to keep working hard, you know, and that's where it, it, recruiting is, is such a, an interesting, fascinating process. It's not a perfect science, because no matter what category you talk about, they all blend together, and everybody has strengths and weaknesses in every area. But, you know, when you look at somebody who hasn't been told they're wonderful their whole life, they might just have a little bit of extra drive and you can see there's going to be a lot more growth in that person. You have somebody that's been told they're fantastic, they often think, well, I'm talented, therefore I don't have to try as hard. You know, you've got great books out there that talk about talent, and they talk about grit and determination and different things, and the truth is, accepting that talent is the thing, that's just a cop-out. If I say you're more talented than me, that means there's no point in me working harder, because I can't reach your standard. And so I believe, you know, we use the word talent. I don't believe in God-given talent that somebody was born to be incredible at things. Different people have different genetics that are going to help or hinder. But so many of these things are all trainable abilities. They're trainable characteristics. The thing is, though, once you gain somebody at the age of 16, 
an awful lot of training has happened between 0 and 16, an awful lot of their mental capacities has happened before that time. And so you can't completely change people. I think what we see is that we can enhance what is already there. We can push people in a direction that they're capable of going. And coming back to the character that we look at, I see the players that have gone through our program, so many of them, the beliefs we have, the core values they, they have, they've truly, they are inside those people's bones for life now. Some other people we've had through the program, it's not quite them, but we've managed to get them to superficially impose those characteristics on themselves while they're in our program. Whether those characteristics will stay with them in future life or not, I don't know. I think they'll, they'll now be able to question which way to go, but it's not necessarily always that way. So you look at any player in any situation, you've got two types of people. You've got the person that wants to know how much they have to do. I like you do a certain test, what do I have to do? And they'll only just push to that level. Or you get the people that I just absolutely love and adore, the people that try to do as much as they can. And you get to see that when you're recruiting. You get to see people that no matter what the situation, they compete no matter what the situation, they work hard. They just have that honesty about how they do things. Other people you see that they're looking to just to cross the finish line mm. because that's an acceptable outcome for what they think performance is. Ultimate performance is always doing as well as you can do. And so we're always looking for that. And so I think the successes of our program, everybody always tries to dissect successful environments and it's, it, are you going to be the best team if you have the best players or are you going to be the best team if you have the best culture? And of course, they're not completely mutually exclusive. We, we want to identify people with great technical abilities. We want to identify people with great tactical minds. We also want to identify people who are going to have great physical attributes, but we really need to desperately identify people who have the, the right the right mindset, the right outlook on what they're doing. And my personal satisfaction and then what enhances me more and more as a coach is getting more people who are doing that. And I, I truly question when you have that talented player in a team that performs to standard, they can think that they are having enough input on a team, but if they perform to standard without doing as well as they can do, I truly believe that they affect other players in a team sport. Whereas if you have somebody who's maybe not quite as talented as that player, showing other people the effort they put forth, the work they put into it, I truly feel that they enhance everybody around us. So if you're in an individual sport, it's very different. When you're in a team sport like soccer, you have to have people doing what they can do, but also affecting everybody else. And so we have just a little, uh, a little kind of matrix on the training room door that kind of evaluates are you a, a culture champion or a culture killer? Are you a performance champion or a, or a low performer? Um, if you're a low performer and a culture killer, you're not going to do very well, okay? But if you're a high performer but a culture killer, I'm afraid of those people because I think they feel they can get away with doing things their way rather than our way. And I think no matter how well they do, they're affecting the rest of the group. So give me a low performer 
who's a culture champion and I believe they can move into the magic box of being a high performer culture champion and if if you can get people who are already performing in that top box of doing both then great your job's a lot easier yeah, yeah. but so we, we really are cognizant of that and I think so much of what we talk about culture um, we all read great ideas we all put wonderful mantras on the wall but it's not about what you talk about it's what you do every single day and our job as, a, as coaches is to keep people to that day in day out you see a group of people they're gung-ho to begin with a week later there's just a little bit of slippage and a week after that a little bit more we're just always keeping people accountable to what we agree upon I think one one cool thing that I've learned as a coach is I'm, I'm a strong-willed person that's pretty confident with my abilities and when I was younger I thought that I could persuade you the player that I'm right so you have to do what I'm doing and that got me so far with things through time and experience I've learned that um, it's not about me being right or wrong it's about us as a group deciding this is how we're going to do this so you buy into that contract so when you fall short of our standards you're not fighting me and whether you think I'm right or wrong you're fighting our group that we have all agreed upon and that means you're now fighting and hurting your peers and that's something that I think is really powerful within a team group. Always fascinated then whenever you're going through the, the recruiting process because it can become a sales pitch in college some coaches mm -hmm. can get them in and show them yep. this facility. The 16 year old that sits in front of you for the first time, how do you present this environment? It's, um, it's real simple that you can be an incredible marketer as a recruiter um, but you have to be really careful what you're selling and I've, I've found that because of the type of environment that I want I am absolutely crystal clear what we're offering. It comes back to using the, the terms of culture. Culture is who you are every day and so that drives everything you do. There's no point in me um, recruiting one of the top prospects in the country if they're not going to fit what we're doing. Just looking at the draft today, there's people got draft highly today that I had a chance of recruiting heavily and I didn't for whichever reasons. Those are my personal reasons. That doesn't mean I failed in my recruitment because they're now going to go and play in the MLS. That means that I've decided that they're not fitting what we're doing and so um, in recruiting people, absolute brutal honesty. This is our environment. Do you want to be part of our environment? Do you want to aspire to what we expect out of people? You're not going to come in as a 17, 18 year old and dictate how we're going to run this. And we're certainly not going to set our standards off you. You're going to meet and then try to push the standards higher that we agree upon. And I think the, the problems we have with the recruitment process is because we're all competing recruiting, a lot of people are selling their soul to people, telling people that they're wonderful, telling them they're going to have this number jersey, they're going to play this many minutes, that they're fantastic, which again is that, that fixed outlook. I'm not saying that is absolutely crystal clear what we are promising. So if you show up in my program and you don't enjoy what we're doing, more the fool you. And if we bring in somebody that doesn't want to be doing things more than fool me with that as well and so it's absolutely crystal clear and so I am um, I'm very very
very, very strong on explaining the message. The message is absolutely crystal clear because, um, especially at Stanford, when somebody comes to Stanford, it's not working out, highly unlikely they're transferring out, highly unlikely. And so if we get the wrong match because I've been a wonderful marketer selling them the wrong product, then that's not healthy for the individual. It's not healthy for, for me. It's not healthy for the program. So we are absolutely crystal clear what we do. And, and you know, people can talk about, you know, it's, well, it's easy for you to be able to kind of give that stronger outlook when you're sitting on your perch at a place like Stanford. I'd say it is slightly easier, but no matter where I've been, where we didn't necessarily have those recruiting advantages, um, the message is always crystal clear, though. Because no, no matter, there's no point, and I've learned this lesson through the selling the soul and putting out promises that maybe you can't keep, all of those things, it doesn't work out because then you have a relationship that's not truly built on trust and there's a misunderstanding and there's also, there's probably a misrepresentation of power of how the program's going to be run. And so absolutely crystal clear, crystal clear to the parents, crystal clear to the to the athlete so that they at least have been told how it's going to be. They don't always listen exactly and when they arrive that's when we say well you signed up for this. We agreed this is how we're going to do this. We agreed that you're not going to shape the program to this low level. We agreed that we're going to shape you to this high level. So so at that point in time you have them. There's, there's no answer to that because they, they're not going to have the power to change what you're doing. And so I, I do see an awful lot that um, people like to hear compliments. People like to be flattered. We don't do it that way. We flatter certain attributes. We flatter the work rate. We flatter the character. We flatter the thoughts that we can't promise you one second of playing time when you arrive, but we do believe that you can become this person is going to truly contribute to the program. And so in saying that, the promises aren't there that suddenly get shot down the first game of the season when they're not the star player and they're not getting the, the playing time that they want. That the promise is truly, we believe you will contribute, we believe that you can become this person, but that doesn't mean you're going to be there the day you walk into the program. Because let's face it, the the, the first-year success of college athletes is 100% on the athlete coming in because they have to do all the preparation themselves. And if they think they've got the God-given talent to stroll in and do whatever they want, um, they won't be as well prepared. And if we allow them to stroll in and do what they want, they're not going to succeed in the future as well because they're not going to have the right character traits to push to become as good as they can be. Mm. Managing culture is exhausting for coaches uh, and I found that from a personal experience just keeping those demands high all the time is physically and mentally draining and holding that player accountable how do you so the player that does there's slippage you said the player that does slip is it after a bad game is it one training do you give them a week do you get them in the office right away do you address it on the training pitch how does that process work it's different in every different circumstance it's different for for every player and it's different for every player at different times of their career and so there isn't one size fits all with that and I think that's that those are the skill sets that we develop as coaches is it draining and hard work yes but isn't that the wonderful challenge of being a coach if if all you had to do was correct something once and that was it 
then you'd have a bunch of robots perfectly performing out there. Then it wouldn't be as beautiful of us as a job, you know. And so, um, no, it, it changes with each and every person. And I think, do you get it right all the time? No. But can you try to get it as right as you can do through the experiences you have and through trying to understand who you're talking to and at what time you're talking to them, you know. And I've, I've always felt that the relationships are they're built on trust and that trust is developed through time. We get to trust that they are trying to be the people we want in our program and they get to trust the honesty with the as you know when they're getting a criticism they understand that it's there to try and constructively improve them they won't like it at the time and I think if you if you talk to our players about you know their evaluation of the, the job we do I think most definitely they'll say they don't like what they hear from me a lot of the time but they respect it and in the long run that respect pays the dividends rather than telling somebody that they want to hear you know what they want to hear you're telling them something that's going to help them they won't appreciate it at the time always but through time they start to appreciate it more and more another challenge we think that success breeds success but sometimes it breeds complacency yeah. both in staff and in players how do you how do you keep that force going in a culture where you, you, you don't let people slip and that you, you keep it fresh yeah, one of the, the wonderful personal goals I've always had is can you create a sustainable environment? And so I think no matter what situation in, that you're in, you have challenges. If you come off a really, really tough season and you might be the lowest ranked team in the country, you've got challenges. If you've just won a national championship, you've got challenges. And so what we, what we deliberately have tried to do, and again, this has come through experiences of being in environments where you start off at a certain point and you have a wonderful romantic journey moving upwards. But then when you do get to a higher level, you then do create new challenges. You know, when you're struggling, you lack confidence. When you've done well, you, you can have complacency. So learning about those different pitfalls, you set your culture and your environment up to, again, come back to the simple overriding principles we're not asking whether you won the last game of last season and raised a trophy or not. We're asking, are you trying to become as good as you can be? And so um, trying to be successful with those wonderful outcomes is a wonderful challenge, really exciting journey. And then managing that success and managing what next, managing going beyond number one is just another wonderful challenge as a coach. And so I think what we did really well at Stanford was as we set up our program, we weren't, you know, did we ever mention that we want to win a national championship? Yes. But that was such a fleeting conversation. Okay, that's an outcome goal there. Let's put that to bed. Here's what we are focusing on always. So when we came back after winning the first championship on that wonderful ascent, where people are then asking me questions, well, what do you do now that, now that you've reached your goal? They say, well, no, that that wasn't the goal. The goal is to be as good as we can be with whoever's sitting in this locker room. So in January we report back in and straight away it's evaluation of what we've been doing and it's evaluation of how we can move forward. Um, some wonderful environments that have taught me that um, 
you know, when when you win or you have a certain level of success, it's it's a really bad educator. And so when you win a national championship as a coach, you can go away and think, hey, we did everything right. And that's the worst thing in the world. We didn't do everything right. Now, we got some things right to get there. We had some things go our way to get there. And obviously, we were doing more right than wrong, you would assume. But what you have to be able to say is always having that, that growth mindset that was a massive cornerstone of our program. Yes, I am confident with what I've done because of these great outcomes, but how could we improve? And so each year we were losing players and changing, changing the personnel. And each year we were having new challenges and having to play in different ways. And each year we were able to say, this is where we hit the mark. This is where we were successful with what we're trying to achieve. And here's where we can now improve. Here's where we can get better. And so I think, um, you know, without patting ourselves on the back, there is an immense pride to going through that first journey. We went from hundredth in the country to number one. There is a great pride involved with that. But the, the immense pride that I personally have as a coach is kicking on from that and taking a group that had graduated out the best player in college soccer, Jordan Morris and Brandon Vincent, two guys that got national team caps before even kicking a professional soccer ball. Those are really wonderful achievements for them, great, great guys, wonderful achievements for the program. But we were then saying, okay, what can we do next? Who's going to do what now? And those are the really cool parts to the program. And it's quite funny, you know, the, the 2016 championship, I wouldn't have claimed that we had the best soccer playing team. And we get criticized for some of the style points that we didn't get on certain days. But to me, it's like, think about what you're saying here. We didn't have the same athletes. We didn't have the same technical players. And yet we achieved something even more immense. So can't you give us some credit <laughs> for the incredible culture we've created to do that? And that's, what, that's part of that. Yeah. You know, I, I have my own personal satisfaction knowing the type of job we've done through a pretty honest evaluation. And so now we're, we're just always constantly looking for, for what's next. And it's, it's, it's such an easy thing to slip up on, though, because we all do it. You lose a game and you talk about development. And then you win a game, you talk about winning. Yeah. So you're contradicting everything. And people... People mess up in these areas. It's like, no, you're just always pushing, always pushing on development. You're allowed to give yourself little pats on the back, but don't ever become complacent because no matter how well you're doing, there's more in you, you know. When Jordy got his first national team cap and then he, he went away again and he scores against Mexico, he's come back, he's at a college program, and the, the comma said, well, Jordan, I can treat you like a superstar and not give you any crap anymore or I can ride you and push you and see how far we can go with this. What do you want me to do? Which is a loaded question. He can't answer any different. And he'd probably tell you the same, but we, we look at that and we say, okay, you know, I want the next challenge. I want to be as good as I can be. And, and again, coming back to the character of people, um, coming back to those evaluation boxes of culture builders and high performers, um, is it fortunate that we had fantastic guys in the program that just nailed that box? 
because Jordan was an incredible soccer player, an incredible quote-unquote talent, but an even more incredible person, and an even more incredible person who, who had the humility to constantly push and drive. Brandon the same. And so they were, they were those types of people that would help lead the culture forward when we're talking about initially the extrinsic things. Now you have those that are the true culture champions that can show to everybody, if he's willing to do it that way, I don't care how good you think you are, you should be doing it that way because that's the right way. That comes back again. If you're, you know, when you're in a team sport, if your best player, your best performer is not helping your culture, that can be a real tough problem. And I think if you, so again, it comes back to what types of people are you recruiting? What types of behavior are you championing? So that the people who are the highest performers, more often than not, are going to be the people who are going to be working super hard and working to improve themselves every day. And as a result, that sets those standards of performance throughout the program. Consistency is something that is pretty much up until this point. You're so consistent with your messaging and so intentional yeah. with your messaging. Imagine then that extends to your staff as well. We don't talk a lot about in coach education how you hire and how you go about that process, but I imagine or how you manage your staff. But what expectations do you have for people who work with you to make sure that is consistent across the board? Again, it comes back to that driving force saying, who are we and what are we trying to be? And if we're, we can't be asking the players to do anything that we're not willing to do ourselves. Obviously, the physical attributes, all the hard work they do, that's something different. I'm not going to enter that at my <laughs> age. But what we are saying, though, is no matter how well we've done, we are constantly driving to get better. We're constantly trying to improve. So again, the recruitment of the staff comes back to the same messaging and recruitment of the student athletes, comes back to the culture drives all of that process. And so as we're trying to create a staff, we're looking for good people that first and foremost, we want to enjoy being around because we spend so much time together. Because again, if you're enjoying the environment with each other, you're going to enjoy working hard with it but also looking at, at people that are gonna help push me forward, help push themselves forward. So whether we get an award as a team or not, we're giving our self-evaluation, have we been successful at identifying what we want to do, working as hard as we can do, and being willing to take on all the challenges as we go about that. So again, it's, it's constant messaging, it's the same messaging, and I think you know, difficulties arise in groups and teams when the messaging is unclear. You know, I know you you do have slightly different standards in slightly different areas for each different type of person. You don't want a whole group of robots. You don't want a staff that's all the same as well. You all have different attributes to give. And so you all want different skill sets to add to the group. But you have to have everybody on the on the bus. All noses pointing the same direction and I you know, I read one thing years ago, kind of like the, the pack of huskies, and you think of typical dogs facing in different directions, pulling against each other. It's really obvious when people are pulling against each other. It's so obvious to anybody. You get everybody pointing in the same direction, you get those dogs in that pack, it's not as obvious to see the dogs in the second row who are only running at 80%. 
but that's your job as a coach to have everybody understand that everybody's working at 100% because otherwise if the lead dogs are going at 100% and ones in the second row are, are not putting out they become dead weight still so the easiest ones to recognize is the people who are overtly going against the culture the tougher ones though and the next higher standard is getting to make sure that everybody is working as hard as they can do. Last couple for you, the, the process of against that consistency, motivation, say you've just described a culture of motivation, tense motivation, to if that's consistent across the board every week to week, day to day, minute to minute, what do you sprinkle on top of that in match day to make, and, and talking more specifically, not, not in terms of tactical preparation, but the, the hour to two hours before a game, how do you how do you operate? I'll get back to that because I think motivation in general is such an important topic because from year to year your motivation levels can change drastically and so um, you have to I try and evaluate our group and figure out where we are today and what's going to be the narrative for that season what's going to be the hook for that season and so that wonderful ascent is a little bit easier one to sell because it's a pretty obvious um, chase that we all recognize. We want to grow and get better. Yeah. That's good. When you're the champions, it's now a totally different challenge, like we've said. And so the, the hook there was going beyond number one and understanding the true meaning of success and identifying the incredible advantages you have with having the strength of a, a great group but also the incredible challenges because the man that was aspiring to become a national champion has a certain level of motivation a certain level of behavioral characteristics that national champion now is a totally different person they have a totally different motivation level good or bad and so we then identified that we were we were having to give completely different hooks and those hooks that were truly we wanted to compete against the team before um, and try and do that in a way that we want to that squad in itself wants to have its own success in its own right but we were just looking at trying to dig deeper and go it's, it's a challenge against ourselves it's a challenge against you to become as good as you can be so always try and look at different hooks. I think this last season was a fascinating one for me because we we graduated out seven key starters and we had only a couple of people who'd really performed in that environment but we had a lot of people who'd been in the program so were we a mature program or we were were we a brand new team and we were both and it's much easier for me to figure out the motivation and the hooks if we're just a brand new team. It's much easier to figure out the hooks if we're a mature program. And so it was an interesting one this year, trying to figure out the balance of identifying who we truly were and what were going to be the most motivating factors. There were people in the program that were complacent because they'd won two national championship rings or three national championship rings. But they hadn't necessarily contributed on the pitch. They'd contributed to the culture. They'd contributed to the environment. But they'd never been the man in the middle. And there were guys that thought they were national champions who'd never kicked a ball for our program who were arriving as freshmen. 
And so we really had a mixed identity, so it was much more of a challenge trying to figure that out. But so each year we truly look at what are going to be the new motivating factors. I personally always try and read a lot in the off-season and try and figure out what books and what stories and what, what different things can I find that are going to apply to this group this year. This is a wonderful thing when you're, when you're at a convention or something like that, we show up to the sessions or we listen to something, we write down all the notes and then we go back to our, here's the answers. Those are not the answers. Go out there and plagiarize, go out there and find out incredible information, but you have to make it your own, you have to apply it to the environment you're in. When I was coaching at Bakersfield, it was a spe specific environment. When I was at Fort Lewis, another completely specific environment. You can't match the two. You can still have the overriding values that you believe in, but you have to package it totally different. When I was at Charlotte, totally different again. And then at Stanford, totally different again. Then Stanford, after a few years and having won a championship, totally different again. Now I've got to do it different again. And so we're always looking at what's going to motivate people because motivation is that deciding factor with people. When we talk about mental toughness and different things, I think a lot of it really, really stems from the motivation of the individual. As you get back to the initial question, what do you do in the season? Um, you try to come up with different motivational forces throughout the season, but I, I'm really careful with what I do with that because again, you can really be contradictory with what you do. The, the, the old sayings, well, this team beat us last year, so we owe them one. So we should try really hard. Well, I'm a logical person, so if I'm asking you to try really hard because they beat you, by inference, that means you don't try as hard against the team you've beaten in the past. So that's illogical, that's wrong. So a lot of these old cliches that we would all slip up on trying to use a great motivational factors, I completely try and avoid that. It's in the players anyway. Some people have those things in their mind anyway. And I know some people have the complacency in their mind from previous victories. And so always trying to stay one step ahead of the players as to what they're going to be thinking and where their motivation levels are. But really just if again you come back to what are your core principles of your program, that's what you're staying true to every single day. But then you, you can sprinkle in the, the stories. You look at a, a Premier League champion or a conference champion. We all get excited about what everybody talks about with being the big game. But the big game often isn't the one that decides the, the championship. It's the, the early morning game, second game of a weekend against a team you've already beaten the last few years. That's what decides the championship. And so you learn that. I learned that as a player. I've learned it as a coach. And so you share that wisdom with people where you're never ever asking people to try harder because of whatever's happened in the past. You're constantly understanding being that pressure valve and dealing with the external influences. We educate our players that just as you go through the season. The players' parents, they love their, they love their sons, but they're not a good influence on their mental aspects sometimes. Cause they're looking at the schedule and they're saying, yeah, we're, we're not going to play, we're not going to come to that game because that'll be an easy game. We're going to wait for the big game in three weeks' time. So straight away, that poor individual, his emotional levels are already struggling for, for the games that are there in front of them. The people in the cafeteria, they say the same thing. 
the staff I have to deal with in the department, they say the same thing because everybody gets fired up about those certain games and just every, all the external factors are hurting your performance on certain days. Then meanwhile, the so-called big games, all of those external factors can also hurt you if you're getting too anxious with things or too hyped up for it. So as a coach, you're creating different motivation from day to day, but you're also being a pressure valve, understanding that you're going to have to give a bit more extrinsic today with the group. You're going to have to show a different sort of level of commitment with, with your behavior. And then on other days, you're trying to take the pressure out of the group. You're, you're trying to get people more relaxed. And so if you'd see us at some of those final four moments, you're going to see a group of guys training in between the games that are having fun and talking smack and just behaving relaxed. Um, I had a, a wonderful lesson I learned when I was at Fort Lewis. We, uh, we got to the final four and um, I'd had all week to think about the incredible Churchillian speeches I was going to give and everything. I had it all mapped out perfectly. This was my moment as the coach to shine, to try and win that national championship. And, um, and so I've, I'd rehearsed, I'd got it all perfect. I knew exactly what I was going to be doing and saying. We're at dinner and the guys are just so relaxed and so happy. And I was going to be bringing them back to the hotel and then giving them the whole talk to get the best out of them. And uh, I, hey, Gun, what, when can we leave? And I'm already pissed off, I'm upset, you know, it's like, why? What's the problem? Well, there's a show we've been watching. We want to get back to the hotel. And then, what's the show? And it was some crap show about making the team. It was like the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. And these guys have been watching it all through the season. So a few years before, I would have got really wound up. I would have gone berserk. I would have talked about lack of focus and all of these things and gone crazy at them and whatever. Because I would have been wound up already because I'm emotionally hyped up and wanting to do well. And, um, and for some reason, I just had a moment of good judgment. I went, okay, let's get the check. We'll head back to the hotel. And we get back to the hotel and they're waiting for a bit of a talk. I said, off you go to the rooms. You guys are ready. We've done all the work. We'll be fantastic tomorrow. And so all of that hard work I'd done to be prepared, I had to understand that it wasn't about my role and what I was trying to convey to them, it was about what's best for them. And that was probably one of my prouder moments in college coaching was that I actually kept my mouth shut for once. <laughs> and so, but, it, but that's that thing, it comes back to, you know, I could have got all the advice in the world and had everything right and no matter how well prepared I was getting for, for a moment, no matter how much I thought I was doing the right thing for that moment, in that moment, it required something totally different. I mean, in the end, we came out and played fantastic. So, again, was it the right decision? I don't know, but it, it worked in that moment. And from then on, you kind of realize, because as coaches, we, we do a lot of stuff that maybe it's for ourselves. I hated some of the pregame training sessions and stuff. You know, when coaches would have us out there running around on the pitch for an hour and a half the day of a game, I hated that as a player. I didn't want to do that, I wanted to relax. And so, even though I know we could do lots and lots of other things, we won't necessarily do that. So, beginning of the season, because we're not in school, we'll do a bit of walkthrough type things because it helps occupy part of the day and 
doesn't allow the players to sit around getting antsy all day. We're not physically exerting, but we're just taking their mind off things and we'll do some fun juggling or different things like that just to get them relaxed. When it's in school time, we won't be meeting and doing those things. Like, no, go to your classes, take care of it, take your nap, we'll see you at game time. So again, it's um, you want to help, you want to motivate, but you have to figure out the best ways of doing it. I think another, another great one as well is we all see the Hollywood movies where the coach gets up in front of the group and does the great speech and gets everybody fired up and they'll go running out of the room and it's like, well, that achieves one thing, it gets people maybe fired up, you're, you're dealing with emotional levels there, but that's not communicating information necessarily. Information cannot be um, general. If I go into the, the team at half time and I tell them, you're not working, well, quarter of the people, uh, they're not even listening. Quarter of the people go, oh man, I'm terrible. Some of them are thinking, well, they're obviously not talking about me, you know. And so that's too general. Whereas if they say, you, I need you to be doing this. Now you've got a personal contract. That is information. You have to agree to the information. Now you know exactly what you need to do. The next person, you need to be doing this. So it's, it's very personal and very specific. So the talks with the groups, you figure out what are you trying to do. You're trying to motivate the troops and get them fired up, in which case it's a group thing maybe. But individual information and individual motivation has to be very much, very much eye contact, very much one-on-one. -on -one. Last one, Faith. Hundreds of coaches here, young coaches that want to aspire to the level and the success. What advice would you have for them? Um, it's great that you're here. I'd say, um, you know, have the confidence in your own abilities but also, like I say, just about the players, have the humility to really want to watch and learn from lots of other people. Um, plagiarize, see different things, but you have to make it your own. I'd say the most important factor for any coach is to be really authentic. And quite often we make the mistakes that we try to emulate somebody we're not. Um, I know the coaches that I've looked up to and I, try to emulate and that fits me. I also know the types of coaches that I just can't emulate. Um, great example even would be uh, Brandon Vincent in the program. Guy, what an incredible guy. I know I could never be Brandon. The guy's a good looking, charismatic stud of a guy and um, doesn't say much. But when he opens his mouth, everybody goes quiet to listen. I'm somebody who's always shouted above the noise and, and when people aren't listening I shout louder and so as much as I'd like to be kind of cool and like that, that's not my personality and so you look at a Jurgen Klopp and you know we got to watch Liverpool train and you see him coaching his team and you see Conte coaching Juventus and you see their authentic personalities and I think the great thing I think what's been a success with me and what I've learned from those types of people is a guy like Klopp can ream one of his players, can take them to task and then he'll immediately have a good discussion with them and that player as upset as they are getting called out in the moment, they understand and they believe in him that he's trying to help. He's not posturing, 
He's not shouting for the sake of his own ego. They believe in him wanting to push them forward. And so it's acceptable for him to behave that way. If another person with a different personality talked to a player the same way, wouldn't work, you know. So be true to yourself, learn from all of the other people, but make sure you, you end up owning it yourself. That's really important, I think. Jeremy, thank you so much. Fantastic. Cool. Great to have you on. Thanks so much to Jeremy for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Wow, how would you summarize that there and do it justice? Um, like I said at the start, I hope you were taking notes throughout that there because I was and it was about three pages deep and I looked and thought how long he was going for and he was 12 minutes in. So unbelievable amount of insight to how to not just run a program, but how to, like he said, sustain excellence every single day. The mentality needed for a coach the behaviours needed for a coach, the things you need to be looking for every day and the things you need to be looking for down the road, both in terms of where your team may be at and who you're bringing into the team. Absolutely brilliant. I thought that was just a coaching course in clarity of a message. The one thing, um, so much stood out for me, the one thing, difficulties arrive in groups when the messaging is unclear. And I, I'm going to write that down and put it somewhere where I'm going to see it all the time and I think that's so important and so powerful for coaches that making sure our message is consistent every day. You know, and he did say we have to repeat ourselves over and over and over again. And I just laughed at that there because I would be guilty of getting frustrated at having to repeat myself two or three times. And you know, if, if Jeremy has to do that to win a national championship, then it's obviously works. So I uh, really, really enjoyed it. I, I want to tell you one quick story just before we finish up. When I was in Bakersfield, Stanford men's team played our men's team in the spring. So I would go over to the bench before the game and just say hello before the game started. And I was talking to our video guy at the time, Howe, who was getting ready to video the game. Brilliant man, loves his football. The teams were walking out. Jeremy comes over, says hello to both of us. Howe informs him that he played against Jeremy when Jeremy was in college at Bakersfield. How played on a club team and they used to scrimmage Jeremy and the college team during the pre-season period so they were going through it well great memories can't believe it was that long ago those were tough games and I didn't think much of it to be honest I thought that Jeremy was just going along with it I didn't think he really remembered but just as he was going off he came back and said how right <laughs> and he remembered his name and it was 20 something years ago and how couldn't believe it and I couldn't believe it but then when I was walking away I again a lesson in awareness a lesson in remembering people's names a lesson in humility all these things that I think Damien Hughes in his Barcelona book says success leaves clues and sometimes as, Jer as Jeremy says we go to events and we go to clinics and conferences and we write down the information and then we go back and are prepared to give that information to the players. But when you're doing the podcast and you're meeting people like this and you sit down with them and you get to see exactly what gifts they have as people. And it's just attention to detail in every aspect of their life, how they look at people, how they speak to people, how they remember things. It's absolutely brilliant. And it makes you go away and say, right, I need to be a level above what I'm doing as well. So really inspiring. 
I can't thank I pestered him for that interview, so I really, really appreciate him sitting down. But I hope you enjoyed it. Would love to hear your thoughts. As always, at Gary Kernin on Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram. Let me know what you think. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernin on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.